I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. We're going to get right into it uh, because otherwise it will go off the rails. Phillies talk. Dave Murphy, columnist, Philadelphia Daily News, joined by Mike Sealski, the, inqui- the Inquirer columnist, and Jonathan Tannewald, our erstwhile producer, um, who will be covering soccer for the next two weeks, and he would love for you to know that. <laughs> We're going to talk about Adubel Herrera and Ryan Howard. Not in conjunction, but no. I think these are the two. These are the two kind of meta issue, meta issues, meta or meta, meta issues, meta, meta issues surrounding the Phillies at this point in time. Um, the Phillies, who I, I suspect are starting to come a little bit back down to earth. Oh yeah, um, you know, and that bullpen still has yet to. Every time I look, Colton Murray, John Mar Gomez, or Hector, I couldn't even tell you who else is in the bullpen at this point in time. Um, John Mar Gomez, to me, just to interrupt, is the Kyle Kendrick of closers. Like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that guy, great- had, that guy gets more. Hard ground balls and line drives hit right at fielders in mm-hmm. getting saves than any closer I've ever seen. Yeah, you keep, you, and he does have a very good ground ball to fly ball ratio historically. But, it, I mean, clearly at some point, I mean, this the, people forget how long. And I learned it early on because I covered baseball for seven years. In the first couple of years, I learned how long the season is and how foolish you sound if you make yes. anything approaching a definitive judgment in April or May. But Ryan Howard, to me, is finally an interesting topic. I... I think I've mentioned on this podcast throughout Eagle season when we were uh, when we were talking how little I, I cared about the topic at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was all that anybody seemed to yes. want to talk about with regards to the Phillies. At this point, I do feel like things are coming to a head. And when you hit 154, things yeah. come to a head. But even honestly, like I think that Ryan, I don't think Ryan Howard's just here because the Phillies don't want to cut him. But I, th- I think he's partially here because there's no better option. There's no reason to cut him at this point. No, I mean, th- this, this roster is still cut carrying Emmanuel Burris. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, look. If they could have traded him by now, they would have traded him by now. And they're also doubly in a situation where they probably ought to be reluctant to move him because he does something that nobody else on the roster, as it's presently constructed, does. Well, I mean, even more... I mean, he runs into a fastball every now and again and hits it 350 feet. And there aren't all that many guys the Phillies have who can do that. And so, what do you do? You... So this is my question. I don't about, know. Let's talk about Ryan Howard first, because because okay. this the Adubel Herrera thing. I I don't even know how I feel about it. I have some stuff when we get to do it. That uh, let's deal with Howard first. Sounds okay. familiar. But yeah. Adubel Herrera, we're going to talk about hustling and whether yeah. Pete McCannon was right to bench Adubel Herrera when he he you know in the end could have helped the team maybe in the ninth inning. Um, but first, Ryan Howard. My outlook on this guy has been the the the, the time to part ways with him was a couple of years ago. If you were just going to part ways for the sake of parting ways yes. at this point, I'm not sure that that there's really much to gain from cutting him until you need a roster spot. I agree with you. And I think what it, normally I wouldn't feel this way. Like I'm, I've my perspective on sports has changed a little bit over time. Like I love writing about the human element of the sports, but when it comes to building team building and trying to construct the kind of roster that can compete for a championship, I've, come around to becoming very more analytical and forward thinking and getting on board with the Sixers process, that sort of thing. But I personally we think We broke that, you. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I do think this is a situation where in some way, shape, or form, respect ought to be paid mm-hmm. to Ryan Howard. And that 
the Phillies were able to trade Jimmy Rollins and do it and get move him move on from him kind of gracefully. They were able to trade Chase Utley and move on from him gracefully. And just kind of the unceremonious cutting of Ryan Howard would feel wrong to me. And it would be disre- I, I I hate using this word, but it would be disrespectful. Yeah. I, you know, I, because of what he's accomplished here. I agree with you to a certain extent. I, I think you can't even trade this guy. I think that's been the biggest problem. Right. I think they would have loved to, to... I think all they've been holding out hope for is that they cannot cut him. And at one point last year, I went around... I went... When he was... He had a little bit of a hot stretch mm-hmm. uh, in April. Right around this time, I think, actually. And I went around looking at all the American League teams that, that he would even would even have a roster spot for him. And I couldn't really find one. Yeah. I mean, there's the problem is he's not a very good hitter right now. And... Even most teams have a better designated hitter than Ryan Howard. And at this point, you're asking them to sacrifice a roster spot just to carry Ryan Howard. He needs for that to be a a for any team to even take him and put them on their major league roster. He will need to have he will need to show that he can not strike out 19 times at 47 at bats, which I think is what his current. current yeah. Run and, is. And, and what value like think about it in terms of, oh, OK, will you turn him into a. Matt Stairs slash Jim Tomey at the end of his career right. guy who you send up there in a big spot late in the game and maybe he hits a ball over the fence. But now fence guys are it. walking guys to get the Ryan Howard in that spot. Exactly. And any team that would even think about acquiring him or if the Phillies were to think about using him in that sort of situation, you, you can't because an opposing team will just say, okay, timeout. We're bringing whatever left-hander we have in the bullpen. He'll strike Ryan Howard out. Problem solved. Like I They mean, want you to bring Ryan Howard. Yeah, out. go ahead. We know how to handle this guy. Um, so, so to me, the, the, the issue is twofold then. Um, if we assume that, that you can't even... Tra- like trading him at this point would this be the same thing as cutting him and you would just get the call to trade. You would essentially mm-hmm. be paying all but $500,000 of his salary and not get, getting back, you know, Matt Rosati yeah. or whatever this year's version of him is. Right. I don't think that can happen. Like it's just not worth it for a team to sacrifice five hundred thousand, even the five hundred thousand dollars, or that they would have to pay the major league minimum and and a roster. It's just not worth any team's no. while to do that. So the question is here. First and foremost, I think we will both be in agreement on this. You, Tommy Joseph has to play every day. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. He does. I mean, that's. He does. You have to look. It, no matter what. Um, the the analytics and the assumptions, not assumptions, that's the wrong word, but the expectations are that the Phillies are eventually going to come back down to earth, which in all likelihood they are. And if you are not just completely blinded by your love for the red and white pinstripes, you, you understood that, that what they were doing at the start of the season was not going to last forever. Um, you still have to find out, A, you have to find out what Joseph is, if he can be an everyday first baseman. And B, you because of where you are right now, Still a win, a, a, an above 500 team, like you owe it to people, you owe it to the team to put the best lineup out there. And Ryan putting Ryan Howard at the four spot is not putting the best lineup out there. And you can't bat him anywhere else. He's Ryan Howard. You can't hit him seventh or eighth. You can't, I mean, I guess, I suppose you could, but I mean, you that would be any, even a, You can't hit him anywhere right now. That's yeah, the problem. <laughs> I, it's just, you know, I you mean, know, it's, yeah. one, it's really, really bad. It's not like, you know, Mike Schmidt, when Mike Schmidt hung it up in 1989, he was hitting what? I think about somewhere between 220 and 240, somewhere around there, and, and you know, wasn't getting the balls at third base. The problem is that it's doesn't It's worse happen. than that. Like, yeah, what, nobody just looks at it themselves and walks and, away. You know, I... So, so anyway, well, let's focus on the Joseph, because that's the next... That's the yeah. more interesting thing in my part is, is what actually ends up happening, because... 
nothing might be the answer. I mean, keep in mind this team is still carrying. And the reason why, first of all, let me go back. The reason why we're talking about this right now is I, th- this is coming to a head at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the Phillies got a little bit of a reprieve in this American League series where they could, they could make that Ryan Howard the designated hitter right. and play to- Tommy Joseph at first base. But this, this series against the Cubs, then, you know, whatever. Maybe there will be some day-after-night games, yada, yada, yada. I mean, Tommy Joseph can't play every, every day. Mm-hmm. He's got to get a day off once a week. So you might be able to finagle until they come back home. But at some point, Ryan Howard is going to spend an entire series on the bench. Yes. And it's not going to matter. I don't know that it's going to matter if there's a lefty or righty playing because I would argue that Tommy Joseph needs to be facing righties. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can pick a spot for Ryan Howard every now and then. Uh, like, as you said, the way Matt stares mm-hmm. in, in his second year when he just couldn't do anything. Right. Sorry, Matt. Good, Fr- you friend know. of the podcast, Matt Stairs. Yeah, exactly. Find an answer. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even think Matt Stairs could find the podcast button on his. On his <laughs> I will say this. This is a complete non sequitur, but we're used to that here. I think the Phillies broadcast has gotten a lot better. I agree. I think Davis, I th- first of all, I think Matt Stairs has gotten a lot better Absolutely. Uh, as an analyst, both in terms of his content and his delivery. Yes. Um, I think Ben Davis has brought um, a nice kind of relaxed vibe to the booth. I think the fact that he's a local guy is very appealing. He gets Philadelphia. Um, I think Mike Schmidt has gotten better on Saturdays and Sundays when they have home games. I don't um, know that. I think he has. Um, I'll put it this way. The only time I've watched Mike Schmidt, and again, I can't. Mm-hmm. speak to because I've watched them once this year but I found I found myself wondering whether he had actually watched this team since 2008 because <laughs> he was talking about and everyone will know this because I, I covered a game the next day and I I said you guys hear Schmitty yesterday talking about he was, he was talking about Ryan Howard and how like pitchers tremble because he can hit any pitch and, and I mean he was talking about the Ryan Howard that wasn't even here when he was healthy he was like talking <laughs> about him when he was here in 2006 and he was he was expressing surprise that John Margomez was the closer and and uh, he was like, yeah, this guy wasn't, he wasn't scheduled to be the closer coming into spring training, was it? I was like, Schmidt, you were down there. I was, I was, <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, yeah. So I it's just, all right. I mean, you know. But anyway, your, your point still stands. No, my, the point stands, the broadcast, are, and I, and, you know, Sorry, I know Schmitty. Tom McCarthy has his detractors, um, but I like Tom, um, you know. But I, that's the thing. I, so I'm a big Tom McCarthy fan in terms, of, I think he's a great, great guy, and I think he's, he's, He's got the little wheels in him where like people hate him just to hate him. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because he's, he's not Harry Cows. Yeah, he's not Harry Cows. But I, I do think I think Tom I think Tom has improved immensely over the last couple of years. I I mean, this is the first time I've really sat down and watched the Phillies on TV regularly um, in a while. But but since the last time I did that, you know, A, I think that their use of anal I don't even want to say analytics, just like statistics that mm-hmm. normal people like norm that are in the mainstream now, OPS yeah. on base percentage. Like it, it gives them, I think they're finding a lot of that builds a lot of conversations, yes. you know, because the, I think the th- one thing people don't realize about analytics, Michael Wilbon among them. <laughs> um, did you read that? I didn't. It I was, was about a, to just a strange, about strange, to. strange piece. Michael Wilbon writing for the undefeated on analytics. Just, just go read it. It's a strange piece. Um, but I think they're finding what I found when I covered baseball is that analytics really describe things that most people intuitively know about the game. Mm-hmm. And and the thing I found when I first started covering baseball in 2008 was, oh, there's a stat for that? Yeah. Like there's something, because I would say, you know, hey, did you ever know, you know, isn't um, isn't power and reaching base more important than contact? Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a stat for that. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that you know, they're, they're mentioning release points and spin rates and, and 
a lot it's it's playing very nicely off one another so whoever's producing the broadcast and whoever has incorporated um, some of these more advanced stats mm-hmm. into them i mean even the keys of the game they would always yeah do, the keys of the game would always draw a chuckle out of the the millennial crowd because it would be like wheels sitting up there being like go get them <laughs> key number one go yeah. get them yeah play key with no- inten- play with yeah. intensity key number yeah. two gotta score yeah you know and it now it's like hey this guy's got a 90 mile 90.1 mile per hour fastball this is he likes to throw this pitch here and mm-hmm. i think ben davis has has brought a lot of that yeah yeah he has and um the thing about baseball is i think we tend to analyze the broadcasters far more naturally because of because of the way the sport plays out mm-hmm. 162 games slower pace that sort of thing and i do think that the harry and whitey dynamic while it's receding a little bit every single year um it's been you know seven years now since harry callus died it's been gosh what, uh, three, 19 years since uh, Richie Ashburn died, that sort of fondness is becoming less and less uh, of kind of hanging over the broadcast, if but that t- makes sense. You know, Tom, he was, Tom was a basketball guy. A fo- still a fo- is. Fo- yeah. Still is the ba- voice of the Big Five. Um, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's on the CBS broadcast team mm. for football, and I just think it took, took him some time to grow into that he baseball. Admits- like, he just seems, he seems a lot more relaxed. And I think Ben Davis plays Ben Davis plays a big role in yeah. that because there will be moments that you know, you'll you'll watch you know two pitches, and there will be silence, and then Ben Davis will say something, yep. and then Tom will say something. There's just a lot more, you know. I, I think Tom I think Tom probably does not feel as pressed to perform. I, I think way, three th- three things real quick. Number one, Tom has always said that he considers baseball not that he doesn't love baseball and doesn't love doing the Phillies. But he thinks he's better at basketball and football, and I think he's right. Um, and with, along with that, it's an adjustment because he's done mostly radio in his life. Right. And so in, when you do radio, obviously, you have to describe the action, and that's his natural impulse. And so on TV, he he admits that he has to kind of dial it back a little bit and remember, hey, they can the viewer can see what's right. happening. I don't have to go into great detail about that. That's the first thing. Two, I think, you know, very cognizant of the fact that he was – Taking, he was the heir to Harry Callis, and that came with a lot of pressure, came a lot of expectations, you know, all that stuff. And I think we're we're moving away from that now. Finally, I think you're right about Davis helping him, uh, particularly if you go back to some of the changes they made in the broadcast booth uh, a couple of years ago. It was really hard, you know. You never knew where Sarge Matthews was going to go with his <laughs> analysis. I mean, it was fun to listen to, um, but I always kidded that Sarge would. Um, accent the wrong word in a sentence, you know. He was like Cotton Cotton Fitzsimmons in the uh, in a way, the Ocho you know, on, that, on that, dodgeball. That, you know, that moves the count to two and two, you know, like it's just you never know where he was going. And then you had Jamie Moyer, who I, I don't know how much, I'm sure you dealt with Jamie on a day-to-day basis. Dealt is a good word. Yeah, who might have been the biggest snob in baseball history. And what I mean by that is this. If you approach That's a fascinating ja- way to put it. If you approach Jamie Moyer with a question about baseball, you some and he didn't know who you were, you somehow had to prove your baseball bona fides to him in order for him to deign to answer the question. And he brought a lot of that, I felt, in the one year that he was a broadcaster. There was very much a like I'm Jamie Moyer spe- speaking from the top of Mount Doubleday about baseball. Literally, though, from the top of Mount Doubleday. Yeah. I mean, the guy, and, he and Abner Doubleday were, were yearbook buddies. <laughs> and it was like having somebody read an economics textbook to you, you know, uh, on a books on tape sort of thing, listening to him discuss baseball. It was just 
awful. And I don't mind <laughs> don't saying that. that. Yeah. I, no, I wrote that at the time, yeah. I, that he was a bad broadcaster. And um, I'll say that till the day I die. He's, he was awful as a broadcaster. And it's, it's good that he's gone and it makes things easier on everybody, Tom McCarthy included. So I have kept my mouth shut a little bit here because... We yelled at you I, when you opened yeah, it. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that, that and I sort of wonder sometimes about, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say about somebody. But I am not the world's biggest Tom McCarthy fan. I... I'm sure he's a very nice guy. He's very he's good at basketball. He's good at a lot of different things. I he's just, good at calling basketball. I and I have this trouble not only with him. I have it with trouble with Bob Carpenter in just Washington, Len Casper in Chicago. Just I think he's too much. Of a homer. It out. I think he's too much of a homer. See, well, it's not his. Not necessarily his call. But says says the guy who does a video with Dave Spadaro every week. Well, right. I know that, but you know, yeah. It's, I think if I think the one exception to that, at least at the announcing teams that I've listened to around baseball, are the Mets. Gary Cohen, Ron They're Darling, great. and Keith Hernandez are, from what I've Tremendous. heard, they, they are the best home, you know, local broadcasting team in baseball, bar none. I like the Giants guys a lot. Right? Okay. But the what makes the Mets great is not only that they're really smart and really honest, it's that they're honest about the Mets, too. Like, yeah. you know, for instance, Tuesday night in, in Washington, Matt Harvey got bombed again, didn't talk to the media afterwards. I guarantee you that during the SMY broadcast tonight, they'll talk about that topic and they'll talk about it honestly and with insight. And if either Darling or Hernandez or even Cohen feels that Harvey is worthy of criticism for it, he, none of them will pull any punches. They, will, they won't rip him for the sake of ripping him, but they will not say, well, he's our guy and therefore we're not going to criticize well, to, him. To put my Ayn my Rand hat on for a second, it's because that is the one market where there's actually competition exactly between the networks. I mean, the, the, the problem with baseball and there's no incentive for the announcers to be compelling they're all paid by the teams anyway well no but i'm saying there's there's no there's no incentive for the network to be compelling because if you were going to watch baseball on television local baseball on television you have to watch what they put in front of you yep and the ratings do not i guarantee you the ratings do not go up and down in a revenue specific way based on the broadcasters right like no, no. There's no. If 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 there's any change, it's incremental and it is not monetized. Right. But the Mets. I mean, you're right. But in New York, you yes. have SNY in a death battle with Yes, mm-hmm. and then you have the whole cable network, you know, exactly. thing. And it just like it, it's it's one of those things where, look, we're, we're we're talking about from the owner's perspective. They watch. You know, you got to keep in mind Tom McCarthy's broadcasting for the owner. It's like mm-hmm. having. It's like broadcasting for your boss. Like <laughs> yeah. he's in his mind is a picture of you know the Buck brothers sitting at home and and listening to them call in their house in Florida or wherever those guys live, and watching TV and watching Tom McCarthy call the game. And if there's no other reason why he shouldn't be critical of the Phillies, then they're going to say, why is he talking like this about our team? Whereas the Wilpons are like, yeah, we got to make some money on cable. So you know, yeah, the, and- the radio voice of my youth. John Miller calling the Orioles games on WBAO was fired because he was too objective about the team. That's what I just said, though. Yeah. But that's why. No, but I know. That, but it, yeah, but that's, that's the point is that, yeah, let me look at the Flyers. I mean, they had Mike Emmerich and they had Doc Emmerich and Bill Clement as their broadcasting team for a few years. And it just so happened to coincide with the beginning of a five-year slide out of the playoffs. And those guys were gone within four or five mm-hmm. years. Now think about it. Like Mike Emmerich is the best, okay, is the best yes. play-by-play guy in any sport in North America. And Clement's one of the best hockey and analysts. And Clement's one the of the business. five smartest people analyzing hockey in the country. 
And the Flyers got rid of them both because they were too honest about the fact that the Flyers were putting a lousy team on well, the Well, because they knew that it wasn't going to affect ratings. Right, if you exactly. Wanted to, you had to watch what they were going to give you. This, right. is, this is why Mike Sielski leans conservative on economics, and he's got a point. Thank you very much. appreciate that. I will dispute some other points, That's but we're okay. not going to do that today. We're not going to do that today. No, this is the sec- it's funny. It's the second time uh, Les Bowen and I did um, uh, a video earlier today, and Les... I refer to Les and Frank Fitzpatrick as um, the grumpiest two lefties in Philadelphia <laughs> since Steve Carlton and Jerry Kuzman were in the Phillies rotation together in 1984. Awesome. Um, but Les is very much, you know, he's that Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, very much so, and he made a joke that he is, you, know, you know what Les, I, Les has got some Bernie on. Oh yeah, he definitely does. And feel, uh, feel the Les. Yeah, feel the Les, and uh, and he made a joke that Les if we. Is burn. Uh, if we did the video and talked about uh, politics, like we would totally balance each other out. Completely. I think that would actually be compelling. It might be. It might be. Like a return to the old CNN crossfire days. I mean, it would be a no uh, Jonathan Tannewald fields your soccer questions live at noon in the Philly.com chat, but I think it would do. <laughs> I, used to, I will tell you, I used to produce a video like that with our op-ed guys. Did you it's really? Been, yeah, like back when we were at Broad and Callahill. It was, uh, it you was just fun. found two two people who were... You know, left of center because other than Kevin no, Ferris yeah. in the building, where, where who else? Find, yeah. There were at that at that time there were they were arguing who about were, uh, state sponsored socialism, and <laughs> democratic. Yeah, socialism. I know there's me and and Kevin Ferris who works for the Inquirer uh, op-ed page, and we have like a secret conservative handshake that we. <laughs> I say there, single, there, there were a few I others. say single payer. I say we all operate on each other in a collective. <laughs> there, I, all I will say is, and Christine Flowers was one of them who writes the Daily mm. News. There were a few others at the time who were around. But uh, this is a sports show, I hope. Yes. And uh, you wanted to talk, Dave, about... Well, no, I just wanted to... Herrera? Well, no, I, I actually, I think the, the broadcast... I just wanted to say the broadcast... Yeah. As yeah, somebody who sure. has sat next to my father on several nights, you know, this year... Well, you, you hear that, yeah, and I know... And I'm like, wow, that, like, Tom, like, like, again, I think that we... I will say this. I lived in, I've lived in two other uh, baseball markets, Atlanta and, and... Tampa. Tampa. And especially Tampa, you, you, you don't realize how bad everyone else's baseball oh, yeah. uh-huh. unless, unless you have MLB TV and yep. you're watching. Yeah. Well, no. That, well, that's so. I was a Phillies. You know, this was in 2006. I was a, a Philadelphia sports fan living in, um, or 2007, Philadelphia sports fan living in Florida. So we got the, and I was living with a Boston fan. It was a good year for both of us. Um, t- that was the year Boston won the World Series. Mm-hmm. And Phillies came back from uh, whatever. Won the division. Yeah. So anyway, w- we got the baseball package and. We would watch. I would watch his Red Sox games. He would watch my Phillies games, and you would get a good taste of all of the announcers. Yep. And and the Mets are tremendous, and the Phillies obviously were were, were very very good. Mm-hmm. Even though they didn't they didn't use the Phillies feed an awful lot for whatever reason hmm. on on extra innings. Um, but dude, there are some really there, really really bad. Teams. There are, and he, and it speaks to the parochial nature of Philadelphia that mm-hmm. so many people rail on. Like Chris Wheeler, you would always hear this. He's such a rampant homer. Right. Well, and I would say to people, listen to other color yep. analysts on right. other teams' broadcasts. Chris Wheeler will come off as the most objective yep. and honest analyst you've ever heard. Well, I, I will say this way, about yeah. this city. The, the the difference is how much we talk about the announcers. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. weird. Like, you would... And, I, and again, I think it, it has everything to do with everything about Philadelphia. You know, we just... We care so much that we care about who our announcers are. You know? And, Whereas, and those announcers, for the most part have been in place for a long time. Not They were for a long time. That's what you mean. Like Merrill Reese, for example, is the longest serving 
NFL broadcaster. Yeah, but you know, baseball's really the only one you can... I mean, no one listens to the other sports on radio, really. Oh, I think they listen to Merrill Reese plenty. No. I mean, Merrill's, Merrill's you got... You mute the TV and sync up the audio of your radio. I mean, that's fine. But I mean, like, baseball is the... I'm it, not convinced how many people do that. Yeah. I mean, Merrill's... Merrill's great, but I, I'm talking more baseball. Baseball's the nightly thing. Baseball's yes. where yeah. these these guys, I mean, baseball, baseball. you couldn't name any legendary football announcers, really, could you? Myron Cope. Okay. He's the one that comes to mind. That's it? You could name a bunch of baseball. Yeah, announcers. that's it's just it, God, I mean, right now, Vin Scully is the closest thing to a national icon sure. that you, know, you can find. And I'm with you. Scott Fransky is a, is, is a very talented broadcaster from the little that I've listened to him on television, but I think that Tom McCarthy, A, was never as bad as he thought or other people thought you know like i you know he he definitely sounded like a football basketball guy calling a baseball game um i just think that in the grand scope of things if you were to watch other broadcasts you would be like ah you know this is just kind of how yeah this is what you get you right know, in a, yeah in a and, monopolistic and you know but he's gotten a lot better yes and the team itself has gotten a lot better you know there's a lot more chemistry between him mm-hmm. and ben davis i think than any two yes announcers we've seen you know, fielding Phillies calls. Yeah, there is. I mean, that that was what made Callis and Ashburn so endearing. Is it wasn't just that Harry had this incredible voice and made and rose to a moment in a way you know few if any broadcasters could. It wasn't just that Ashburn knew the knew the game inside and out. It was this easy humor between the two of them, and it just made it made like a game that they were losing nine to three in a season where they were going to lose 95 games, just feel like, hey, it's okay. I'm, we're, you know, we're, we're here with our buddies or we're here with family and everybody's just relaxed and having a good time. And, and that's, that was missing for a long time from the broadcast. And I, I, can't, I can't imagine. I mean, baseball's got to be so hard to learn how to do on television because as somebody who talks a lot, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, like silence is it's tough. It's hard. And it feels like it lasts a long time. And yeah. That more than anything is... is what I've noticed this year out of him and, and Ben, um, you know, maybe it's been going on over the last couple of years. It's just, I just didn't watch a ton last year. Yeah. You uh, know who's I, actually really good with it on a national basis? And I know, you know, people who listen to this podcast from Philadelphia are going right. to snicker. Uh-oh. Joe Buck. I knew you were going to yeah. say Joe that. Buck is so much better calling a baseball game, I think, than a football game because his style, which he clearly kind of borrowed or learned from his dad, um, is to let a moment breathe. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the moment breathing works in baseball you can have an understated home run call and let the the crowd kind of carry it in a way it doesn't quite work as well for football. and he's much better at that now than he was when he started out and i think people who bash him still have that image in their mind and don't study as closely how he does especially baseball games now compared to how he used to i know by the way why you couldn't get the phillies broadcast on extra innings okay because at that time comcast did not um, syndicate them, okay, because they didn't have to. Okay, it's one of the, you know it's the same reason why you couldn't get can't still get CSN on satellite distribution because it was they were only broadcasting it locally. They didn't they didn't until the until the online option came along. We get both broadcasts. They didn't uh, unless the game was not on CSN. It was on some other channel. They didn't have to put it out there. Interesting. For, for all your regional programming needs. <laughs> follow why I'm, why follow I'm, the why gold. I'm, why I'm known as the cable guy on Twitter. Anyway, Adubel Herrera. So here's my thing. Shifting gears a little bit. Sure. That's all I want. I, I, no. I don't mean for that. And that's worthwhile discussion. Yeah, yeah, was, I just was thinking about it last night. And, and I think that, that like it was a very difficult situation that Tom and all those guys yes. got, got put into. And especially 
guys, a guy and Tom who had never done baseball before. It's just such a, I think about it now, like how, I think part of it is from talking on this podcast, just how weird silence feels when you're yes. an announcer. And I just think it's natural that a guy has, you know, I mean like Dion waiters or anybody, they grow into their, they grow into their game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, Seth Curry, Dion waiters might not have been the, the perfect <laughs> example, but I just saw him go off. He the, did. How about that? I was thinking He's about you. A nice, nice series. Wow. He also raised the roof. Did you yes. see that? Yes. I didn't know people still raised the roof and Dion waiters after he, he, his pudgy little, adorable little self went slashing down through the lane, dunked, and then raised the roof. He I could think have done Sa- anything else. I think Sally Jenkins killed that when she collaborated in a book with Pat Summit, and its title was Raise the Roof. And it was kind of like, <laughs> all right, that's it. You know, yeah. nobody's touching that anymore. All so. we'll think about is pantsuits from now on. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so anyway. So, so Adubel Herrera. Adubel Herrera. You, you, are loaded for, yeah, yeah, you are loaded for bear on Adubel Herrera. It I'm sounds not, like. I just, I, it's interesting to me because it was, it's something that I understand why Pete McCann benched. For for those of you who have had your head buried in soccer news over the last week, um, Adubel Herrera was benched in the I think seventh inning by Pete McCann a couple nights ago. Monday night. This is Wednesday night. We're talking, and uh, for not, you know, hustling. See now, first of all, I guess it more about the framing of it that that bothers me, and this goes back to Jimmy Rollins mm-hmm. because it's not a matter of hustle. It's a matter. It's not like I'm too lazy to run to first base. I always hear people say that. How hard can it be? You only run four times a game as a baseball player. How how hard can it be? It's not that you're frust- you, you're frustrated mm. and you're you, you 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 see you see it and your first reaction is dang it and you you smack the bat and you don't even think about it and you know what ninety nine out of a hundred of those balls end up as outs you know and and honestly there's probably a biophysiological argument for why it's better in the long run not to run those balls out hard every time. I mean, you, you think about everyone talks about Chase Utley all the time. Oh, he ran out every ball. Well, guess what? His knees were shot by the yeah. time he was 27 years old. So yeah. I, I'm not saying all of that goes into it. I just think it's not nearly as big of a deal as we make it. And it's certainly not an indication of, you know, want to or mm. hustle, you know, because like Jimmy Rollins hustled when he was, when he, when the game, you know, when he felt like, Mm-hmm. The guy, Jimmy Rollins isn't the greatest poster child to use in, in these kind of situations, but but I do feel that way. I, don't, I feel that it was not a character flaw on his part that every now and then he would get frustrated and like not look like that, not have his helmet flying off when he ran a first base. I have here from August seventeenth, twenty twelve, mm-hmm. the deadspin headline: Philadelphia lazily goes through the motions of complaining that Jimmy Rollins doesn't hustle. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think it's a it's a slightly different dynamic in that. When I, I think what McCannon is probably doing, and and he in in an interview since uh, Monday has said that this has been a thing that he's been on Herrera about. Mm-hmm. Um, but that makes sense, you know. And so it's it's kind of like okay, look, just run a little harder. Like you know, we're we're trying to set a tone here. Right. This is how we have to play to have any hope of winning games. You know, we've got to be ready to take the extra base, that sort of thing. Um, you say that to him once, you say it to him twice, it happens a third time. Okay, you got to sit. Um, so in that regard, I, yeah, I, 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 think, I think part of what makes this dynamic, uh, makes this question interesting is because of where it happened. Because once something like this happens in Philadelphia, it, right. the debate immediately goes to, you know, is he, does he play hard? And that whole ethos that you're talking right. about of like, Every player should play hard all the time because they get played. They get paid millions and millions of dollars. And why doesn't Sam Bradford show up for mini camp, exactly. voluntary mini camp, all that kind of stuff? I get it. 
I don't think this, I think you're right. I don't think this has to be a referendum on Odubel Herrera and his baseball character. Um, but by the same token, I don't have as big a problem with Pete McCannon going to the team's best player, and Odubel Herrera is the best player right now, and trying that old trick of, if I call out my best player, everybody else will fall in line. I, I don't know. I didn't have as, like, I didn't think it was a huge deal. I just, you don't see it in any other sport it, where a guy gets yanked off of the playing field for something like that. You might. You do in college basketball, but that's it. Oh, just, just, you, you do in basketball, but yes. Um, for some, there's no there's no corollary in college basketball. Like, what is the corollary in college basketball? Not hustling back on D? I've guy yeah seen guys get blown by on defense. Look by their lollygagging on defense. But that's there's you can't lollygag on D. The only way there's, there's whatever. Okay. All right. Ho- hockey hockey it does happen where a coach will pull really yeah okay. a coach will pull a player well, or a whole line off the ice, um, you know something like that for the entire game. Like Probably they would pull their they, like like they would you've seen a first line get pulled off the ice or like Claude Giroux get pulled off the ice for a significant stretch of the game I okay. would say not the entire game okay um not Claude Giroux specifically but somebody you know along those lines. and the circumstance is different in baseball because you can't bring a guy back in right later on okay yeah but that's I, completely it, does, it right. does happen is is I would argue yes all right well I but, but I I would I would agree with you in the sense that it's not regarded as a huge, as big a thing, and maybe not as yeah, great definitely. as as widely used a tactic. Yes, in other sports as it is in baseball. Okay. I mean, this this is a thing to do in baseball. Like a manager, if a manager wants to send a message, he benches his best player for not hustling or right. something like that. But th- I, I just feel that benchings are always ends based things in other sports. Where like if a guy doesn't run a route right mm-hmm. in football, and it gets intercepted, then he gets pulled out. If he doesn't run a route right and it doesn't get intercepted, you know what? Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, it's. It's just like, what does this get you? What in the end didn't you cut off your nose despite your face or what? What does that say? Yes, but this this is this is an because like the old capital. The fact, that, the fact of the matter is, Odubel can help you win that game later on. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I heard a, um, uh, perhaps, a radio host like make, send your messages after the game. Perhaps Pete McCannon knows <laughs> the team run, in fact is not know? going to the playoffs. Well, maybe maybe he knows that he maybe he's okay. Getting make back him to take what early said, batting practice. Or something. Ma- maybe he's tried to send the message in other ways okay. and it hasn't worked. Um, and you know, if, put it this way: I never to back up my, my my point. I have not read this story from another Philadelphia in another Philadelphia local sport since I've been here. Um, like, can you give me an example when specific flyer A has been yanked off the ice? Not off the top and of my head. It's been a big no. local thing. No, not off. The That's top what of I head. was talking about. Like, okay. it's like, like I, it, this thing is like, oh my, Odubel Herrera just sacrificed the rooster at home plate, and he can't le- do that. Then let you know? me ask this: Okay, if the ghost of Jimmy Rollins was still not, he's not dead. haunting that. He's not dead. Stuff, if, <laughs> why are you killing Jimmy Rollins? <laughs> he's not dead. It, if this has anything to do with college basketball, it doesn't. But I think that the memories of Jimmy Rollins going through this are still in some people's minds, not necessarily fairly. And I think that when something like that happened, it triggered that. Yeah, but of course I, it but does. I'm saying but that's that is dumb. I'm I'm arguing about that. I just think I'm that disagreeing with it's it. my one thing about baseball. I just don't I just don't get the whole ethos or ethos of old, old school baseball. Capital O, capital S, yeah, capital dumb. B, right? It's capital D. But, but see, I B. think I think again. I think the other dynamic here is if this is if this is a team that relies on the home run and has a bunch of veterans, that's one thing. McCannon clearly is trying to establish a style of play with a young team that really struggles to score runs. And he's, you know, he's. I think what he's trying to say is, look, if we don't play this way all the time, 
we have absolutely no chance at all. And my point is, you have no chance at all whatsoever. <laughs> if you if you have a team that you have to say that about, then nothing you're going to do is going to change. Okay. I think that's my... I think okay, and, and, and my counter-argument to that is... In the end, be, you made it... You, you, you there'll be residue argue, of that. I would, affect that you, I would argue that however marginally, your odds of getting to where you wanted to be at the end of the season, you lower them more by benching him than you would have done by leaving him in the game so that maybe he could help you win that game. That may that be. That is how negligible that whatever okay, impact Okay, that is. may be, but he's looking at it and saying the greater good, uh, it's a greater good and more important to us That's what I'm saying, it's not greater good. That's why I said I think Pete McCannon knows this team is not actually going to the playoffs. Of course he knows this team's not right. going to the playoffs. Everyone knows this team's not Everyone going to the playoffs. Everyone knows that. He knows it. He, he's he here anytime Except for talk. the one guy who emails me every day and says the Phillies need to trade yeah. J.P. Crawford you're, for Mike Trout. Is that your father? No. No. But maybe, look, it could just be that, look, what he's trying to do is leave a residue on the guys who are going to be here. You I, know, yeah, I Franco, Herrera, you know, whoever from this team is going to be here in two years when they're presumably better and able, able to compete for a playoff spot, like they're going to be the tone setters. And he needs to plant the seed now so it'll bloom two years later. I think, I think they put it a different way at Wedding Crashers. but <laughs> Or I'm, in the 40-year-old virgin. You might have to look that up. Plant that, was that seed. Was, that, was it the 40-year-old virgin yeah. or Wedding Crashers? It was something plant that, that seed plant and then do something with the plant? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was 40-year-old yeah, virgin. Year old virgin. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like in the concentric circles of our, it is, of pop, our pop culture, culture. O- overlapping. But That's anyway, right. I understand. So, so from the from the ethos that Pete McCannon wants to instill, I understand why he did it. Mm-hmm. And and I don't. I'm not ripping Pete McCannon. Like right. I, every baseball manager has done it, would do it. I just think the whole notion is dumb. Like I'm okay. I'm just whatever. Like this is when you talk about baseball not being fun, it's because we spend. Hours upon hours of and, and inches upon inches of newsprint talking about stuff like this mm-hmm. when nobody cares. It's like, so wait, he was he would have been out of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think like Bryce know. Harper has gotten yanked. This is what Bryce Harper was Make talking baseball about. Baseball fun again. Talking. Well, first of all, baseball was never fun. But <laughs> what? You don't think baseball is fun? I'm just kidding. Okay. I just like I just like throwing. I just like throwing. You got you got to have the strike zone above the knee now instead of you know. Well, that, that was my point. Yeah, that was my me. point. That was my point on Twitter. I just love tweaking the baseball establishment because mm-hmm. they will uh, like. I love Jason Stark, but he loves baseball in a way that like no one else loves the sport that yeah. they cover. Like, there's just like this like weird, like gar- Guardians of the Throne mentality when it comes to baseball. The baseball establishment. Yeah, from, like, it can get and it can get very pedantic too. Yeah, it can it's get, just like yeah. dude, like, like. So, and this was my point when I I tweeted this out that that it was big news in the baseball world that that Rob Manfred was the commissioner was contemplating changing the strike zone from something other than and then it quoted the rule book the hollow the lower end of the strike zone shall be the hollow beneath the kneecap <laughs> like what what is, is this a charlotte bronte like did she write the rule book yeah like, what? and what see what's and what's was funny she, about, there was like five bronte sisters and i could not remember one of them and i think charlotte was <laughs> what's funny about it is is that you have that aspect of baseball the and, hollow beneath the kneecap yeah but you also have this like and I feel like this is going away and was part of what makes a, a character and a player like Bryce Harper interesting 
is like there's this lighter side to the to the game too. That yeah. this tradition of like, you know, like cool nicknames and just fun like offbeat kind of stuff. You know, if you ever get a chance, go back and read like old Haas Rodberg. We, we need to yeah. yeah well, or go this back week and, in baseball was so great about that. Well, like go back and read. But they're serious about it. <laughs> like it's like well, no. What I was going to no, say, like is, literally, some there's like half of the baseball stylers want to have a conniption if oh, you change I, the I strike know. zone from from right. the hollow beneath the kneecap to the lower fringe of the card. Right. right, but that's right. but that's my point is go back. Uh, Tom Boswell, who covered baseball for a long time for the Washington Post, did a book where he did the 99 reasons. It's like saying the Apostle Paul covered Jesus. Yeah. For <laughs> um, the 99 reasons that baseball is better than football. And of the 99, like 90 of them are come down to basically like baseball is more lighthearted than football. That's what it is, you know, and that's what it's supposed to be. This is the irony in that. Right. My number one reason why football is better than baseball would be, number one, people don't feel compelled to write 99 reasons why football is better than baseball. Like, <laughs> it's more lighthearted. They don't have to. It's more lighthearted, and yet we we must insist that we make baseball yeah, relevant for you. you that's know? fair. Like, that, I think that's my biggest pet peeve. Because this is more the like baseball people are getting old and are worrying about what happens after. It's just funny. Like even, like, even like the whole domestic violence thing, it was like anything that football does baseball feels the need to make itself relevant by yes. look this happens we our players beat up their wives too and we you know <laughs> yeah. no seriously that <laughs> no, is true yeah, that, no, no i agree you're like true, you know yeah. why, why is there so much made of steroid use in baseball <laughs> exactly. there's so much steroid use in football exactly like, you hear that all the time because we don't have writers like you making big deals about it <laughs> and because they're and and because they're afraid of it becoming irrelevant even though it's not no, it's yeah, just like, and, it's, and, and again, like this is this is lighthearted. Like again, Jason Stark's great. Like Buster's great. All these guys are great. Like I, lo- I it's just funny to me. Like, oh, yeah, and it's sure. fun to tweak them every now and then because they they really do love baseball so much. And but but seriously, that love gets in the way sometimes. Not them, but I'm talking now more from the league perspective. Like, there's something wrong when your sport in the year 2016 divi- defines one of its fundamental rules using the words "hollow, hollow. beneath the kneecap." Yeah, <laughs> like, what? yeah. like when I read that. It was the first time I'd ever actually read the, read the official rule of the strike zone. Like I, I, I was staring at people in the press box must have thought I was crazy because I was staring at my knee and playing with the thing. <laughs> that yeah. I, I was like, I didn't even know I had a hollow down there. <laughs> How do you see the hollow beneath? Like what if someone has higher knees than someone yeah. else? Yeah. Like, it's, it's funny, but if you think about it, I, I was thinking about this too when I watched Tyler Goodell and John Mayberry too to his extent. Like he's got very long legs. Like if mm-hmm. you look at Kevin Durant, like... He's all legs. Yes. I'm all legs too, so I'm sympathetic to guys. Right? It's very hard to buy pants for starters, <laughs> um, as you may be able to tell by my wardrobe half the time. Which is why I wear sweatpants in here all the time. But uh, this is why not it's today, a radio show, but, ladies and gentlemen. But if you think He's about it, if today. you think about it from a mechan- biomechanics standpoint, a guy like Tyler Goodell, who's all legs, ha- is, has an enormous disadvantage from yes. a guy who's built like Fred Flintstone or yes. or Jimmy Salisbury from CSNPhilly.com. <laughs> Sponsored by Jake's Wayback Burgers. <laughs> because the strike zone is way bigger for a guy with longer legs. And it now what, what, if, what about a guy who's got longer tibias than fibulas? Like, <laughs> like your knees are higher. So, like, it just seems silly to, to you know. There should be a predefined. If tennis can do this, if tennis the ultimate strawberries and cream, like, hey, there's Queen Elizabeth sport mm-hmm. can do this and have, you know. Like, I'm not, I'm not. I don't think the robots should take over. But I'm just saying, let's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing if you move. Football changes rules every year and no yeah. one has a conniption about it. And yet baseball, it's like if we move it to the, you know, the patella instead yeah. of the hollow beneath the kneecap, it's almost like, well, let's let's get 30 think pieces on this to well, decide it, whether. To me, it, that's always been like the contradiction in how we approach as America, quote unquote, and sports fans, how we approach football versus baseball from this standpoint. Football is the sport where you would think 
um, you know, talking about seriousness and lightheartedness and all that stuff. Football is the sport where you would think that the records would matter mm. so much more because the playing field has not changed virtually <laughs> for the entirety of the sport. It's 100 yards. You know, everybody, both teams are playing on exactly the same size field at all times. Every team around the league on the NFL is playing on exactly the same kind of field every week, every game. Yet in baseball, these records, you know, the idea that Barry Bonds, who had taken steroids, would break Hank Aaron's record, um, and, and home run record and all this stuff. Meanwhile, every single playing field in Major League Baseball throughout history has been different. entirely yes. different from every other one. You guys let one. Chuck Klein bat on a 260-foot left field fence for, for 20 years. The, the 1954 World Series was literally decided, you know, that the Giants sweep the Indians because in the first game, a guy named Dusty Rhodes hits a 190-foot fly ball <laughs> that lands in the right field seats at the polo grounds. That's it. Like, like he. But God Ryan forbid Howard, we change the strike show. Yeah, but too. you know exactly. Like, it's just this. It's this contradiction that I've 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 had this discussion with my father hundreds of times. Like, sanctimony is so much fun. Though. It's, it's like not. The, I, but I don't you know. It's know like it's like the, the small council in Game of Thrones. I don't know if anyone watches Game of I Thrones. I don't. But I don't. They they sit around and they, there's this one guy who just sits there and blabbers on and on about how the the masters should do things and how it's always <laughs> been done. And they like reference these books on how the masters did things like 200. Yeah. Anyway, we can't really talk about Game of Thrones. The Breakfast Club. I'll try to come up with a Breakfast Club reference. But anyway, Tommy Joseph, 300 batting average, 320 on base percentage, 609 slugging percentage. Uh, that equates to seven for 23 with two home runs and a double, uh, a walk, seven strikeouts. I mean, he's been, sir, he's, yeah. You got to play him. He's, yeah. been, he's been very good so far. But not, just, like, not just a platoon guy. No, got, you got to play him, period. Yeah. Like, um, let's, see what he, let's see what he has. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that's the mistake that they have made. Getting back to, to the Ryan Howard question. Um, that's a mistake really they made with Darren Ruff. Like if Darren Ruff, okay, Darren Ruff is, has right. not hit. You could have found that out two or three years <laughs> exactly. ago. Like, you know, the, the question was never like play Darren Ruff over Ryan Howard because Darren Ruff is better than Ryan Howard. The question is, it was, let's, let's eliminate all doubt yeah, and move on to the next possibility. And move possibility. on to the next possibility. Like, let's figure out what, what this is. You know, that's why, uh, you know, Matt Klintak uh, said this during spring training during an interview. Like, that's why they didn't go out and sign, like, Edwin Jackson or right. somebody, Austin Jackson, I should say, um, you know, to, to just be a corner outfielder. Like, let's see what a guy like Tyler Goodell does. Right. You know, if he gets the bat blown out of his hands every at-bat, that's one thing. You know, if... if um, um, the, the, the left field, I'm drawing a blank now on the outfielder who got hurt. Aaron Altier. Uh, Aaron Altier. If he's actually can be a power bat in the lineup, exactly. great. If he hits 200 and strikes out two out of every three at bats, then we and know it, that too. And it would be one thing if, if like the NBA, uh, I mean, that just doesn't happen a ton in the NBA. It doesn't happen a ton in, you know, I, I don't know how much it happens in hockey, but in baseball, you see it all the time. You see, we, we just watched JD Martinez bat for two games. Yeah. You know, it's like, just keep running guys out there, and you never yeah. know when they might figure something out. I mean, Brandon Moss is another example. Right. Like, what if you would have? I mean, again, this would have been Jose know, Bautista. Jose Bautista. There's, it happens. You yeah. know, it's it's not likely or even probable, but like you never know. You know, like right. if the, the the Phillies three years ago might not have kept the double Herrera on the roster last year when he was hit. He was. Everyone forgets Odubel Herrera was OPSing like 580 yeah. in June before yep. he got. You know, they might have gotten rid of him. Right. That's right. That's it's, right. Uh, you know, Ender Inciarte is is the one that everyone throws mm -hmm. out there, and he's you know I don't know that he's as he's, he's definitely not been as good as Adubo Herrera, but no. it's 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 more about the the process, you know, to use that word, the process. Well, that that segues nicely to to something that ties into what you're talking about, which is one of the big debates going on in the city now, uh, is the question as the NBA draft approaches next month, 
what are the Sixers going to do? Are they going to make a move, you know, at or before the draft? Um, and the name that keeps coming up is Julia Okafor. Mm-hmm. And Bob Cooney from the Daily News wrote a really good column about this today where he talked about, and we discussed this on the podcast last week, about, you know, if you're the Sixers, do you move Okafor presuming that Embiid, uh, between Embiid, Simmons, Sarich, uh, and Noel, that it's just the cra- the front court will just be too crowded, and Okafor's defense is such that he'll it'll never be good, um, and that he's not the kind of player who helps you thrive in the NBA now anyway. Or as as Bob wrote, do you just say, wait, hey, wait a minute here, and let's see what we have? And what's interesting about it to to piggyback on what you were just saying, Murph, is that. Take a look at Jaleel Okafor, like, shooting free throws at Duke, where he made, like, 51% of his free throws, and his first year in the NBA, where he made, what, 68%. Mm. So there's a quantum leap in one aspect of his game. The question the Sixers have to answer is, is it at all possible that those sorts of leaps can be made in other aspects? Can he become a better defensive player? Can he become a better rebounder? Or is he kind of stagnant in those regards and always will be? And I don't, you know, I tend to think, at 19 or 20, I guess he's 20 now, there's a there's a chance that he could develop, so let's give him an opportunity to do that for you. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the it's the rationale behind the argument, I think that's 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 puzzling to me. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's this notion that we have to trade him because or they have to trade him. Yes. Because you gotta make way for Joel Embiid and they can't co the three of them can't coexist together, Noel Embiid and it's like, guys, relax. Yeah. Listen. If Joel Embiid, and I, I still say this, even you know, Joel Embiid is an off-season Hall of Famer. I mean, Joel, no one is more excited about Joel Embiid than the city of Philadelphia in the off-season. Yes, and then it never actually comes to fruition. Right. So I, it's like, don't you guys learn? Just relax. Like, mm-hmm. let's see, see what happens with Joel Embiid. You know, I get it. Even if Joel Embiid never plays a game in the NBA, maybe Okafor is more valuable somewhere else in exchange for something. But you don't have to force it to make room for these guys. That's right. the last. That's the least of your concerns. If you run into a point where your biggest problem is, man, we can't seem to get Okafor on the court because we can't yeah. take Embiid off it. That's right. a yeah. good thing. When, when, when was the Sixers' biggest problem that they had too many good players? When was the last time that happened? And and that's and I get it. Like you got to maximize the value. And it, and if I'm not saying they should not trade him. I mean, if if this is what I'm saying is it's got to be no doubt that what you're getting is is better right. is a better asset than like you don't just trade it for the third pick in the draft because like I mean if you really like Jamal Murray then yeah I, right. I could see that but you better really like Jamal Murray yeah, you don't this, do it like oh we have to trade this guy and he's the best we can get right in a way this kind of smacks of the Eagles decision to move up and get Carson Wentz like there's still that question looming of did they really love Carson Wentz or did they just decide we need a quarterback right. and so we're going to give up the house to get a quarterback and maybe he's not maybe he's not that guy maybe he is but we got to get one. Well, exactly. that's the wrong reason for doing it. You got to be totally convinced that whoever you get in that number three pick, if you if you do trade Okafor to the Celtics, is going to be better. Now we talked What's, about this. Yeah, it, go ahead. It's like the, <laughs> I just love Sixers. I love Sixers Nation. They're they're precious too. They really are. <laughs> so like the pro the the and I'm I'm I was on board with a lot of what Hinky did. It's just the the blind faith. I do under, also understand the people who get annoyed by the the yeah. quote unquote processors. Because you, you would hear, I mean, the day of the lottery, God, God help this town. I mean, the day of the lottery, you would have thought there was no, there was no, there was more electricity in the air on the day of the lottery than, than the second half of game five of the world series. It was like, <laughs> no, seriously, I got, I just got text messages. Yo, we're going out to, you're, we're going out to watch. You want to come watch what? <laughs> like the good wife? Like, no, the lottery. I'm like, Oh my God. If this is not, if this is not out of the short story, the lottery, then I don't want to go watch. <laughs> and then they were upon her. Yeah. Who, who wrote that? Shirley Jackson. That's right. 
It's a very morbid. It's a very, it it's it's great, very morbid great short story. story. I would not actually want to go watch that. No, no. But uh, you're right. Unless Tannehill, unless it was Tannehill, Tannehill and Lara got drunk, yeah. then I'd go. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it's funny because um, I had this. I wrote a column for uh, for Sunday's Inquirer about the Sixers, not not the fans, but the Sixers' reaction to getting the number one yeah. pick, which I just found to be, as we discussed it last week, hilarious. totally unseemly um, and just ridiculous. Like Tawdry, I thought we decided. Was yeah, that. Tawdry would be a good way of putting it. Like, we're going to have a rat pep rally on the steps of the art museum with, you know, acrobats and a giant banner. Like, you were the worst team in the NBA. Like, that's how you got here. You shouldn't it's be like, celebrating it's that. As you said, you're not number one. You're yeah. number 30. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's keep that in mind. I yeah. get it. I mean, I get And it's like, I, li- I love the optimism. You yeah. Know? But it's just, it, it's funny. Anyway, so... It's these guys, you know, before that day of the draft, you would hear, I I was overhearing somebody talking and they're like, oh, if we can get one, four and whatever, you know, this, this team's going. And then whoever he was, whoever he was talking to, I said, can you, I didn't say it, but somebody, the person he was talking to said, do you even know who the fourth player in the draft would be? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> like, what's wrong with you people? Do you yeah. guys forget that? If, if do you forget memory, who the fourth pick in the draft was these last few years? Yeah. If ahead, my John. memory was right, it was a hashtag, one four twenty four. It was. It was. It was just funny because, and I, and again, I get, I get it, and like there are certainly a lot of Sixers fans that could give you scouting breakdowns on every prospect involved in this draft. But the fact of the matter is, is yeah, it might actually be better for them if they get to the Lakers pick next year. You know? Right. It, I, the I the was point talking... is, before you root for it, you should probably look and see who that fourth pick is going to exactly. be because in years past, it's been guys like Frank Kaminsky. You know. Yeah. Like, what are you rooting for? I, I was talking to a guy who. Uh, Friend of mine who listens to the show every week. We've got a listener. All right. I'm um, more. I'm more amazed that you have a friend. And and, and it's that's quite all right. He, we're talking <laughs> that's about that's low. That's we, terrible. We were talking about how now that's, they run. That's terrible. Terrible. The soccer people run in packs. We were. This guy's not actually a soccer guy. He, but he's a he's a Philly Philly expat who's a huge Philly sports fan who lives in Chicago and he listens to the show. And we were talking about the Sixers, and he's told me he was he was. He was listening to WIP, and everybody was rejoicing about Sam Hinkie's departure. And I said, that's amazing because the program and director of the station, Spike Eskin, is, is uh, Hinkie's biggest fan and was always Hinkie's biggest fan and was the guy who did more, I think, to inspire people to trust the process than almost anybody else in town. And look, I, for the most part, agreed too, but the – and I, I forget whether I said it on the show last week or just – to you, Mike, in passing. Great to have the number one pick. I think they really wanted the number four pick more than they might be letting on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know that. It, put it this way: if you look at the history of number four picks, it was it was certainly not a transcendental moment either way. Right. The, his, I mean, all you were getting was a, you know, forty percent chance that a guy turns into a rotational player. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just that's. That's the whole reason. The whole the whole notion behind the process is that number four is not good enough. Right. You know. I mean, I just don't think either way it could have had that biggest way. Maybe to package then with somebody. You know. I mean, assets are always good. Yeah. I just don't. You know, the number one pick is what they were always after. Yeah. This is this. It is. They, they've they've they're in a spot right now where they can make some significant strides. But as 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 you mentioned in Bob Cooney's very very good column today, very very well, very good, very well. Very good. Very good column. Very good column today. I don't know grammar, in case anybody has noticed. Uh, if it's a very well column, then it's, you know, God, God body the, temperatures God, at 98.6. God save the copy editors of the world so the readers don't know. The problem is this this room, 
over the course of this, it's all the I'm sure it's all, all the, the hot, hot air, air that we keep expounding for an hour. Oh my god, I get so hot and and, and bothered. You get fired. You get fired you up. You get man. fired up. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that 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 look, they're where they need to be, um, and and I'm very interested to see where they go from here. But as you said, it's a, it's going to take another year. And as mm-hmm. Bob Cooney said in that in that column today, it's it, it's yeah going to take at least another year. But that's what this whole year is for. Is that this is the year that you find out what exactly you have in Okafor. Uh, whether you can count on Joel Embiid or not, uh, I mean Joel Embiid's going to be a free agent soon. You know, yeah. um, this is the year. You know, that it, why you you should not rush into anything, and and that's what Hinky. I think that was Hinky. Frankly, his his whole philosophy that underlined underlied this entire underlay this entire underlie underlay this entire tank thing. Under I'm gonna get you a dictionary for your birthday <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah, you're right. It's fine. You know, don't I, rush in anything. It's exactly. not tank. It's it's just don't rush. In. Only right. do things that will definitively make you better. Right. And and uh, the backdrop of all this, of course, is the other segment of the fan base that we haven't talked about, which just believes that Sam Hickey was an affront to everything, you know, good and decent about competitiveness and professional sports and franchise and all that. I was on the WIP morning show on Monday, um, and and. I, I kept using the wrong word. I kept I kept using this phrase of like people who understood the process, as opposed to saying people who who supported or liked the That's process. That's a fine passive aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't mean it to be. I didn't mean it in that way. Uh, but Rhea Hughes got very got a little fired up about that and saying, "Look, I understand the process. I just I thought it was I didn't like it, and I thought right. it was." And you know, my response to her was, "Okay, fine. You're taking issue with my phrasing, but." The fact is that you're basically making an argument that it was okay for them to win 35 to 45 games every year and be happy with that. Right. And that's it's hustling. That's hustling the first base. Yeah, that's hustling the first base. That's giving it all you've got, you know, and they're doing their their derndest there to try to, you know, to try to win a championship. Just look like you're trying. Right. Yeah. Keep up appearances. You know, that was what was so terrifying. But the point being that, you know, they asked Angela Cataldi and Rhea asked me, you know, do you think that Hinky you know, Brian Colangelo said the process is over. You know, now we move forward and trying to develop and, and try to win games. Do you think Hinky would have taken the same tack? And I said, yes, absolutely. The, the, the idea of him kicking the, the can down the road again this year with three first-round picks, including the number one overall pick, with Embiid and Sarge presumably ready to play finally and finding out what they what you have, he, he would be totally incompetent and, and terrible for him to, to say, oh, okay, well, we're just going to tank another year and collect more assets. And... Angelo and Rhea thought this was like, what are you talking about? Of course he would have kicked it down the road. There's no other indication that he would have done anything. Like, really? Like, the, the, he's just going to be perpetually losing every single year. Like, that's the whole goal is just win 10 to 15 games every single year. You really think that that's no, what this was all about? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. What else were we going to talk about? Is that So, Ryan Howard, will he be here for the entire season? That's I think that's the... the I don't think that's so. That's what I'm wondering. I don't think so. JT... The man in the mirror. I'm not sure I have an opinion because I'm not as ed- educated I'm enough about it. I would not be surprised. Oh my god! He starts. I, I, I reference. That's very impressive. I reference a Justin Timberlake song, and he Justin singing, Timberlake. He starts singing Michael that, Jackson. <laughs> That's I'm not great. following for that one. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I have no idea. It sounds like Justin Timberlake. A little bit. I don't know whether Ryan Howard's going to be here all year because I don't know enough about the dynamics of the Phillies front office and so forth. I would not be surprised if he is all year, if they decide they don't want to cut him and don't want out of, as you said, just trying to not be. A, oh God. I don't, are we going to get in trouble for this? 
Yeah. No, we're only going to get in trouble because their phone speaker is crap. <laughs> this is Mirrors by Justin Timberlake. Oh, okay. Oh, my goodness. See, JT. Oh, my JT. goodness. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, my heavens. So, yeah, I, I think he will. We plumb uh, new depths on this show. I guess my, the thing that, well, that, what do the you thing think? that fascinates me is that it may, this is a roster that still has Emmanuel Burris on it. Yes. It still has Freddie Galvis and Cesar Hernandez playing every day. It's not a lineup. It's not a roster where Ryan Howard is the most obvious person to cut. Like, I don't think Ryan Howard's the worst <laughs> hitter on this roster. I think Emmanuel Burris is, you know? It's, so it's interesting. Like, do you, you, you're you not going to cut him just to cut him, right? No. I, I think I think at some point, somebody, whether it's Clentac, McPhail, David Montgomery, maybe, has to go to Howard and say, look, this is untenable. We, can't, we, we have to do something. We want... To retain your dignity, we want to handle this the right way. What are your thoughts? And it's weird because he, like, he seems to be handling it the right way. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, by all accounts, and and you know, he's he's been a very positive influence in the clubhouse mm-hmm. this year. He's not sulking. He's not. He kind of understands. He backed Pete McCannon right. when it came to benching Odubel. Well, that's Herrera. actually what made me. It's th- actually what made me think about the Ryan Howard question because it was mentioned that by a beat writer. I think that. After the game, Ryan Howard went up to Duval Herrera and said something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not like right anything mean. Just like, yo, this is why you did it. Mm-hmm. You're awesome. Don't get down on yourself. Right. Like that's that. I think is a. Po- it's a very that brings more thing. to the club than Emmanuel Burrs can bring to the club. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It does. Yeah, you're right. You're and, right. And you know, if you don't, if there's no, if you're not holding anybody back, I'm right. not sure what the incentive is to. I mean, half these guys in the bullpen don't even pitch. You know, I mean, yeah. it's. I just don't know that 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 I think sir, th- things are coming to a head in the sense that Ryan Howard should not be in the lineup. Right. But once a week, he should be Matt Stairs circa yes. 2009. Yes. That being said, I just don't see what you're gaining by releasing him at this point. And to me, it's just interesting to, to think about what that that impetus might finally be. I mean, is it J.P. Crawford coming up? Is yeah. it? I mean, at some point, if they really do want to start cycling some of these young guys in. Maybe, maybe that's, that's it. it. Maybe but, you know. Maybe it's it's, you know, a Nick Williams starts to justify you know talk of him coming up to the big leagues. Maybe it's Crawford. Um, you know, they had Joseph materialize. Which I mean, if that didn't happen, imagine Tommy Joseph hits two forty nine at Triple A instead of three forty nine. Any, but even you know? now, I mean, again, as as I said earlier, I, I've never gotten the sense that that they are being obstinate. And, and holding on to Ryan Howard, it's no, just never. It's just made, they don't have another it's option. Just never made like. It's yeah. like, what are you going to do? Bring Brock Stasi? You know, you, you're not going to cut Ryan Howard for Brock Stasi. No. And frankly, Tommy Joseph still has a lot of. You know, yeah. Like, as long as yeah. Howard's comfortable in that role and he's he's willing to kind of be at least you know almost like a player coach liaison between mm-hmm. um, you know McCannon and and I'm not sure that Jimmy Rollins would have enjoyed that role. No, you know? uh, no. <laughs> but I, don't think I think so. Ryan Howard seems very comfortable with. It. He almost seems like a guy. Who has accepted is is what he is and 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 yeah it's, it's like that scene we've referenced it a bunch of times on the podcast it's that scene in Moneyball where Billy Bean goes down to the batting cage to talk to David Justice mm-hmm. and like you know look dude this is where things are at the Yankees are paying you seven million dollars to to play against them you know I'm trying to wring the last little bit of baseball out of you that you have go be a mentor to these guys show them right. how it's done talk to them in a positive way about what it's going to take to succeed at this level and. You'll, we'll, we'll get our money's worth out of you. And basically. I'm not a, one of those, I, I'm not a ton of that abstract BS type of guy, but I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, do, I, I do too. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, int- I mean, look, Tommy Joseph still has, he's got seven strikeouts, I think, in, yeah. in 24 at bats. I mean, Did he's, you, same thing was like we just said about Darren Ruff. You got to see. Yeah, just You got to see. I just think that, that uh, it's like, it, it, I guess what it comes down to is it feels like one of those things that should be coming to a head and, and should be worth talking about. But at this point, 
you know, I think things in Ryan Howard land, you know, until I don't think he should get a roster spot over anybody who deserves one or who, who might serve the benefit of the Phillies in the future. But at this point, I mean, if he's, if he's comfortable playing on the bench, you know, left bench. Yeah. And I don't think unlike some other writers out there that he has the worst contract in baseball history because I have a hard, I still have a hard time believing that any contract will trump Bobby Bonilla's. Well, at yeah, least when the Phillies are done paying him, they'll be done paying him. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I I'm not going to argue that it was the worst contract. I do think that people who try to minimize the contract, I will disagree about that because it's mostly done. I, I, I minimize it because I said at the time it was a bad contract, and so. Um, well, I think we all knew at the time it was a no, bad no, contract. no, 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 not everybody knew, not everybody knew, no, 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 no. Now the people, now the people who were cheering say, well, everybody would have given them that contract. Like you know, you had to give them that contract. Like no, you don't get to do that. Like just because I was right and you were wrong and the majority was right doesn't mean you can like redefine the goalposts. Like I was right the whole time. Don't take that from me. That's all I have in life. All right. So as we wrap this up, everybody remember Murph was right. Keep that in mind and get used to it. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.